series we're in. I'm excited about it because I love the Word of God, and I hope you do too, but I hope it's a, a love that goes beyond just saying, yes, I'm a Christian, of course I love the Bible. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is, it's something that will change your life. The more that it's in you, the more that, that, that you are in it, it will change your life. <laughs> Get all these guys waving at me in the church. Hi. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, we, we've ended up forgetting the offering there. Ken, will you please come? And uh, everyone else, John, I appreciate all your hard work organizing this. We are going to receive your, your tithe and offering, and I appreciate what you give. It changes. I mean, that's the only reason we can do anything we do is because you give. Thank you for your faithfulness. And, of course, you can give. You know, many people give uh, in these bags that come across, but then a lot of you do give electronically like we do with so many of the other things that... Um, that we give to or pay to, and you can always set that up electronically, either online or on our website or f- even Facebook, or um, you know you can set up regular on ongoing giving. Um, it's so funny. I look out there and think, why is he waving? Do you ever have anybody do that? Like you see something and you think, what is that? I know I know them, or something that happens. You ever have that happen? <laughs> and poor Ken, now he's gonna ha- he's gonna he's gonna hassle me for like a month. So it's all right. Uh, okay. Let me ask you something. How many of you would say you're good at memorizing names? You remember names. They just stick in your mind. Bless you. That's a gift. And not everybody has it. I'll just tell you. I don't think I have it, although I find that names are very, very important. And maybe you've noticed this, but when you remember somebody's name, it's, 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 it's more than saying, oh, I know you look familiar. But when you have the name, what happens? They feel like, oh, you, I mattered to you or I made a difference or you really did know who I was. Names matter. They do matter. And because of that, I work really hard at trying to remember. Now, I know I'm kind of setting myself up for people. I, it's funny. When I was, uh, I was ASB president in college, and I don't know how this got started, but I did remember names because they matter to me. And so for some reason, the uh, newspaper editor, he printed an article saying that I knew everybody's name on campus and that if anybody could stump me, that they would give them a prize. That was a challenge. But you know what's funny? You would not believe how many people came up and said, you don't know my name, do you? And thankfully, most of the time I did. And they would say, really, how do you remember my name? And I would tell them. I've, I've got these little things I do. Do you guys have any tricks? I do. I, I mean, I, I don't know that they're tricks. They're just they're things that I do because I think it matters. So I do, there's, I've heard like, different people say ways to do it. One way is to work their name into a sentence a number of times. Or as you're talking to people, repeat their names. So I met a couple of Brazilians today. Did you notice I was doing that with you today? Did you notice or do you think, what's wrong with this guy? What does he keep saying our names? But I, I met uh, Lucas and Isabella. And um, another thing I like to do is um, I try to draw some kind of connection. Do you do that? So it's easy for me with Isabella because we contemplated naming our daughter Isabel, our, our first daughter, Grace. And then we decided against it because I know my wife wasn't super fond of Izzy, like that nickname. But then also we realized, and you got to watch this when you name your kids, right? You, you want to protect them from as much obvious teasing as possible. So we realized with my last name, Luce, it would sound like a question, Isabel Luce. So we didn't, yeah, we didn't want to do that to her. So we didn't do that. But, but telling them that story, I will never forget her name. Do you see how that works? And there's certain people that you just, you look at them and you think, oh, I can, I can draw some kind of a connection or association with that name somehow. And it can be tough because sometimes maybe you do this and maybe not, but there's a lot of people that have the same name. You've noticed that, right? I mean, I don't know how many Daves or Davids are in the church right now, 
but that's a pretty common name in the U.S. I mean, Michaels, you get a lot of those. You get, and in our church, we have a really unique thing. We have a Frank Holzel and a Frank Hinkle. That can be tough. When I was in seventh grade, in, I'll never forget this, in homeroom, I remember sitting there, and they called the roll, and there was a Dennis Linney, Dennis Lumberg, and Dennis Luce. What are the chances of that? So they couldn't even do Dennis L. anymore. It had to be our whole name. And then that followed, I mean, the, uh, one of the guys, uh, Lumber, I don't know whatever happened to him, but Lenny, we went through all the way through high school together. And uh, at one time in middle school, our, our middle school sir, uh, was really large in uh, California, our middle school group. One time we had seven Jennifers in one church. Do you know how important their names are to them, though? I'm talking to junior high girl, right? So when I walk up to them, I can't just say, hey, girl. I can't just walk up and say, hey, brown-haired Jennifer, Right? So I thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this with these girls? Because their names matter. They are people. And when you know somebody's name, it says something about who they are to you, that they matter. So what I did is we, we, we got them all together and we said, hey, let's do this. Let's figure out a nickname that's your name and it'll be your nickname here. We tried to make it special for them. So we, we came up with a ton of different ways to say Jennifer. But what's the funniest thing to me is one of them stuck to this day. Here this girl's a grown adult. And, and she still goes by Niffer. Niffer. Yep, that was her name all those years. Can you imagine her explaining that to people over and over and over? Niffer. People call me Niffer. Uh, sometimes I try to figure out what's different about a name. Like, you know, Pastor John, that's John without an H, though. He's a J-O-N. That's what he goes by. And then I have a good friend named Glenn, but he's got two N's. It's Glenn with two N's. See how it kind of even rhymes? I do that. I'm weird. I know. I just do that. Um, my wife, Nicole, it's Nicole, but... She's got two E's and no I. That was easy. Um, and then Pastor Nick already did the Crown Pointy Church. I do that all the time with people. And I do it on purpose because not only do I want them to spell it right, but when you do that, they remember that. You know, they just do. It just sticks in their head. And I've had, I've had places where we've been where, you know, you had to tell them your name or with a church's name. And they'll remember that. Oh, the Pointy Church. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Uh, something else I do is I write the names down right away, and I try to write down some identifying characteristics. Now, I did meet a couple people today that I already realized when I was getting ready to come up here, I thought, ah, oh, I didn't write their names down, and now I can't remember. It happens. And here's what I do. I, what I've found over the years is it's better just to say, hey, can you tell me your name again? I, I used to not want to do that. I used to try to fake it. And there's times still where if I feel really stupid about it, I might go to somebody who knows their name and says, tell me that person's name again. I might do that because it matters to me and it matters to me that they know that I I wanted to know their name. But what I've also found is it's better to just come up and just say, can you remind me your name? Just tell me your name again real quick. And people do and they don't mind because they know you want to know you know, rather than just faking it and saying, hey, bud. (laughs) I always try to find a connection. Um, How many of you guys, um, I know I asked this a couple weeks ago, how many of you now know your kids' phone numbers? Did you memorize them? Because when I asked you a few weeks ago how many of you actually remember those numbers, most of us just rely on our phones, and we don't remember anymore. And and in doing that, when I was writing this down, it made me think about this for a minute. I wanted to remind you, too, that we are doing this series in conjunction with the kids' department. They have their own sermons, but they're doing the same verses, and they are memorizing also. And so you can go after the service, Pastor Nick mentioned this, and if you can quote the verses from last week, either back at the, the welcome counter or the kids' counter, you can quote either way, yeah, you will get a candy bar. And it's funny because some of the kids, they came up to me out here last service or last week, and they were, at, they were saying, hey, can we quote for you? And I'm like, 
but you got a candy bar right there. Didn't you already do it? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, no, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, really? You're going to lie to the pastor? Wow. For a candy bar? I'll just give you a candy bar. I don't, it's not that important. I'd rather you not lie and just, you can have a candy bar. It doesn't matter. And then they're just kind of looking at me, just confused. But how many of you remember the scriptures? You guys remember them? What was the first one we did? <laughs> I heard a lot of numbers. Okay, it's John 3, John 3, 16. Let's do it. Whatever version you know, let's just say it together. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I have no idea what version I quoted. Because I grew up with King James, did NIV my whole life, and now New Living Translation, so I don't know. Okay, and then John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then last week, I really appreciate uh, Joe being able to be here and speak for us. Uh, it was wonderful to be able to do that for them. And by the way, I want to clear this up. He kept saying it over and over, but he did not have to beg. He did ask. He asked one time, but he didn't beg. But, and I told him, I felt a little bad about this, but I said, look, Joe, I, let me pray about this because this series is important to me, and I don't want to throw it off. So then when I, when I uh, responded to him, I said, Joe, I want to have you, but it's under this condition that you will preach on these two verses. And he did a great job, and I'm glad he did. So let's, let's quote Romans 3.23 together. Ready? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That was really easy, I know. And then 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, you ready for this? Okay, so let's jump into this. This, this verse, uh, wh what we've done is basically with those verses, we've laid out the plan of salvation, what it takes to become a Christian. And next week, Pastor Jeremy is going to lay more on that. He's going to be speaking next week because I'll be with the team in Jamaica. And then he's going to be talking about, you can study ahead, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. He'll be doing that a little bit more. But today, what we need to do is establish the fact there's a reason we even care about this book. Let's take a look at this. Uh, we can, let me just read this to you. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize it is what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now that's the New Living Translation. I, I want to actually speak though today out of the, new, the, the uh, new International Version. All scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. And I've had people ask, how does this inspiration thing work? I've even had people say, how can you believe in the Bible or trust it? It was written by men. And I look at them and I just ask them this simple question. I, I, I like to say it like this because it kind of disarms everything. I'll say something like this. If there was a God, can we start there? And they'll say, okay, okay. If there was a God, would it be possible then for him to give something to mankind in a way that would be honest and true to what God wanted it to be? And usually they'll say, well, yeah, if you say it like that. <clears throat> they'll say something like this. Well, what about though? I mean, why men? I mean, even the Bible says, God said, I am not a man that I should lie, <clears throat> right? So I'll say this. Well, is it possible then that it, I mean, okay, I know, I know some of you are married to men and you may disagree with this, but it is possible actually for men to do things right for at least a small amount of time, right? 
okay? <clears throat> a small amount of time. So if you add God to that mix, then isn't it possible that if he wanted to communicate something to us that he could make sure it's what he wanted us to know? I believe that. It's a supernatural book. I do believe that. It's not a magical book. It's not a book like that. But it is still, get this, this is so bizarre. I researched this again this week just to determine the facts. It is still the most printed book in history, the first book ever printed in history, the most common, the most prolific book ever, and get this, the most stolen book in history. Still, still. It's also the one book that more people have tried to get rid of and tried to destroy and tried to crush than any other book in history. I don't know that I ever really appreciated it until I took a team to Russia in 92. The wall, you know, had fallen in 89. Russia was still very fresh. There was a lot of, you know, missionaries going in there and we were doing crusades. We ended up doing these crusades all the way in the middle of Siberia. We were in this, this city that was a couple hundred miles north of Mongolia. It's this huge city of two and a half million people. Beautiful, amazing buildings. It was kind of eerie. I mean, we were walking along with the uh, interpreters, and I would say, who built all these buildings? And they say, oh, the Germans did this for us. I'm like, what do you mean? Why would, why would they do that? She goes, oh, well, they're prisoners of war. I'm like, oh, okay. Didn't, didn't put that together. Okay. So we're there in the middle of Siberia, and one night we'd... we'd finished the crusade it was amazing so many people had gotten saved and we were walking with our team back there was like about an inch of ice on everything so as we were walking you know just trying to be careful as we're walking with the team i kept noticing there was this older man and he was behind us and he 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 was like far enough away to not be with us but close enough to just be kind of getting weird okay and you know we're i'm feeling protective i've got a lot of young people there and so i asked one of the interpreters i said you know about this guy what is he doing and she said, oh, yeah, he probably wants an autograph or just wants to talk to you or something. I'm like, well, we could do that. So we, we wait, and he comes up and talks. Here's what he said. He hands me one page of the book of John, and he told me this is all he has. And as we were passing out Bibles that night, he didn't get one. And he just wondered if there would be any way that we would have an extra Bible. We had cases of Bibles. We had cases of them. We could have given him, I mean, how many Bibles do you have at home? He, in tears, took that one little Bible from us, and he said, my whole family, we've had this for 40 years. This is all we've had. I just looked at him, and I thought, God, I don't, I don't appreciate your word the way I should. I mean, I don't, I should ask him if he had it memorized. Huh? I mean, one, if he had the same page. I was blown away. I was blown away by the idea that this is all he had and it meant everything to him. So how does God give us this? Did he take him over and as they were writing, their hand just moved miraculously? It's not what it says. What it says is God breathed. Literally, God inspired, breathed into them what he wanted them to write. Really, the Bible is an amazing, amazing thing. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful union of, of supernatural and natural. It's a beautiful union of God, the all-powerful, and man, the fallible. And what he does, like he does in our own lives, he uses us in the, the way that he created us. He gave us a uniqueness in each one of us, a, a personality that he works through and operates in. 
Those of you who are introverts, he made you that way. It's okay. Those of you who are extroverts, it's a good thing. God made you that way. Those of you who are good at math or good at reading or, or good at communicating, God uses those things. And look at what he did in the Gospels. It's beautiful. The biographical accounts of Jesus' life. Look at what he did with the book of Matthew. As you read the book of Matthew, what you may not see immediately because you as Americans and you've been reading it for your whole life, you get so familiar with it. But that is a book <clears throat> written by a Jew to Jews to convince them that he, Jesus, was the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. So what he does is he quotes the Old Testament more than any other gospel writer. So what he does is he starts with Jesus' pedigree and he traces his lineage right back to King David. Because that would have mattered to the Jews. Wouldn't have mattered to the non-Jews, but it mattered to the Jews. That you needed to see that this is Jesus. He is royalty. He's one of God's sons. What does he do? He says, he, oh, here, I love this too. What was Matthew in his previous life? Tax collector. What do you expect out of tax collectors for them to be orderly and organized? And as you look at his book, it's really fascinating. He'll have this section. It'll be it'll be discourse with the Pharisees, arguing with the Pharisees. Then it'll be a section of teaching. Then it'll be a section of miracles. Then it'll be a section of Jesus teaching his disciples, all ordered, just like what you would expect. What did Jesus, what did God do? He used that man's personality. And the book of Mark, we know from history that Mark wrote down the memories of Peter. What kind of guy was Peter? The kind of guy that would jump out of the boat and walk on water. The kind of the guy when he saw Jesus, the risen Christ on the shore, he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. He's the guy that pulled out a sword and tried to cut off the, well, I'm sure he didn't try to cut off the ear, but he, that's all he did is cut off the ear. So what kind of guy was Peter? He's the kind of guy that gets things done and he wants to tell you the story in a hurry. And what's his goal? He wants to, you to understand that Jesus is the son of God. He's writing to a broader audience. He is so different. In fact, in the book of Mark, it's the shortest of all the biographies. It's only about 600 verses compared to about 124 with Matthew and then even longer with Luke, 1,200 some verses, almost half the size of, of, of Luke. Think about this. Isn't that what you'd expect, though? He uses the word immediately over 60 times. It doesn't appear that many times in the whole rest of the Bible. Why? Because God uses that man's personality. Look at the book of Luke. It's fascinating. He's a Gentile. He's a doctor. It's in Luke that we see all these intricacies about diseases. And because the, the broader Greek world was more open to women than was the Jewish world, you see more about women and you see about angels. And then what does Luke do in the very introduction? He says, I wanted to put together an orderly account of what happened. So we know that he went and interviewed. So it's in Luke that we see all the details about Simeon dedicating Jesus to, to the Lord at the temple. And it's in Luke that we see all the stories and we see Mary's song, the Magnificat. All those things that you had to be an eyewitness to go and interview and find out. You see details, you historical places and names and dates. And you could ground Christianity in history like no other religion on earth. The book of John. So philosophical, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. He starts it off and he says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus is God, but he's being philosophical about it. So think about this for a minute. Can you think of anything without using words? Try it. You can't. 
As human beings, our thoughts are driven and described by words. What he's saying is that Jesus is the exact, the word of God, the creative thing that, that makes everything that is. He's, he's saying that Jesus is God like nothing else is God. You have these powerful statements in the book of John. That one point where, where he's arguing with the Pharisees and they're saying, you're not even 30 years old yet and, or 40 years old yet. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> I know some of you like, and? Okay, there's a depth to that phrase, I am, that doesn't always come across in English the way it would to a Jew. Because the Jews would understand and they would know that, that when Moses was at the burning bush and he said, who should I send them? The voice from the bush said, tell them I am is sending you. Jesus, when he said I am, he identified himself as God to the Jews that were there. But it's more than that. What he was saying is I am. In other words, not I was or I will be or I am right now. I am, period. I am eternally existent. You can't read the book of John without just being amazed at the philosophy. It doesn't end with that. Look at what Peter says. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, and they spoke from God. I love this because this verse 20 and 21 comes right after Peter establishes and reminds everybody that he himself is an eyewitness. What he's saying is, we were eyewitnesses. He talks about the fact that we didn't make any of this up, but we saw his powerful coming. And he, 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 he refers back to that moment of transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were there, and they saw Jesus transfigured, his body in a glorified state, talking with, with Moses and Elijah. He says, we saw that. And we heard God's voice say, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. Let me just tell us some things where the Bible speaks loudly. Speak loudly. There's a lot of people who say, I, I don't know what I should do with my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. And I look at them and I think you're probably not reading the Bible very much because it's pretty clear. It talks a lot about that. He gives us in there what he wants us to have. It's in there. Some things are very clear, and there's just really no question about it. I mean, a sense of morality, the sense of a, of a lifestyle, the, the life that we should be living as Christians that, that transcends culture, transcends time, the fact that he's coming back. On the other hand, it's not a science book. Some people go to the Bible, and they want to see certain things that just, it's not meant for that. That's not what the Bible's for. <clears throat> it's not necessarily an encyclopedia. You, what you need to understand is the Bible has a purpose, but that's not what it is. Some people have come to me and they say, well, which Bible? And I like to mess with them and I say, well, that's a good question. What do you mean, which Bible? Do you mean the Old Testament Bible or the New Testament Bible? Because really the Old Testament is there to give us reference to the New Testament, but the New Testament is the new covenant. That's ours. That tells us not only how to be saved, but then how to live for Christ. And we reference back to the Old Testament. Some people say, well, what versions? You know what I tell them? Whatever one you'll read. It really doesn't matter to me. I like them all and I use them all and I read them all on a regular basis because they're beautiful and they're interesting. Because maybe you don't understand how this works, but the original documents, we don't have those anymore. They were written on paper over 2,000 years ago. 
They were written, the New Testament, in, in, in uh, Greek with some Aramaic, the Old Testament largely in Hebrew. But what we have are translations of those things. Let me just give you an example. For instance, there's the, the King James Bible was written in 1611. Did you catch that? 1611? 400 years ago? And when they wrote it, they wrote it in what they called at the time the King's English. It wasn't what the people on the street spoke. It was the formal English. So, for instance, uh, this, this verse, this is Mark, um, Mark 8, 29. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. There's power in that, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? I love it. But look what happens here. In, in the original Greek, that's how it's lined up. That's how the words, the exact order of the words. The New American Standard Bible does the same thing, keeps the exact word order. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then the English Standard Version uh, is, is a newer translation. What it does is it, it similarly keeps that word order. And he asked them, but, but you, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. The New Living Translation is more, let me just uh, give you an example. This is more of a translation for speaking, for instance. So how many of you speak Spanish? Okay. Well, in Spanish, uh, the qualifier comes after the noun, right? In English, we put it before. It's a syntax thing. It's just different languages and how you order it. So for instance, White House becomes Casablanca. It's just different that way. But in English, the kind of English we speak today the reason I use the New Living Translation from the pulpit is because it's, it reads like we speak. Instead of saying, he said to him, and then says the question, it just says, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. I don't care which version you use, honestly. What I want you to do is read it. Read it. Use it. It's a beautiful thing. You need to do it. So let's think about this for a minute. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. <clears throat> in all of your life, you have a standard. There's standards for everything. There's standards for building, and you hope those buildings are built by those standards. Am I right? When those earthquakes happened, uh, was it last week or the week before in California? You know how many phone calls I got from friends of mine saying, oh, I know you wish you were here because they know me. I do. I wish I was there. I'm glad nobody, uh, so far, all I've heard about is one, one death. And I, that's a very sad thing. He was working on a car, and the car fell on him. That's what happened. But they've retrofitted so many of the buildings there. And one of the things that I thought about is, aren't you glad they did? Aren't you glad that the builders just didn't decide what they thought was right? They had a standard. How many of you have seen those commercials where they come in and, and um, they say, oh, I forget the exact text. But it says, um, you know, hey, is that doctor good? And he goes, yeah, he's all right getting ready to have a surgery, and the doctor's just all right. I mean, is that what you want? No, don't you want the best? Don't you try to find out the best you can find? And don't you hope that your doctor follows every standard and knows what is right and what is wrong? <laughs> Why don't we apply that to morality? Why don't we apply that to life? The fact is, the Bible is our standard. Have you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? Everybody, anybody ever seen it? Don't get me wrong. I respect... Uh, Jefferson, our president, a lot, brilliant, brilliant man. Some people say that he could speak or at least write and read seven different languages. But he was not a Christian. He was a deist. What he believed that there, there was a God, a higher power, 
but that he wasn't active in the world as it is today. That's what he believed. So what he did is he took the Bible and he cut out parts that he didn't agree with or didn't think were true. So this is a picture of of some of his Bibles displayed. They were displayed at the Smithsonian. I don't know if they're on current display. Here's a close-up of one of them. Here's what... (laughs) Here's what's true. If the Bible doesn't correct you and rebuke you and train you, you're doing it wrong. And you've become the standard. If you look at the word of God and you say, "Uh, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Then you now become God. Do you realize that's the lie the enemy told Eve in the garden? Did God really say, you won't really die? He's not really telling you the truth. You can't trust him. He's not really that good. He's keeping things from you that you might enjoy better. That lie has never changed. And the fact of the matter is we serve a God and we as human beings will be corrected by his word if you're going to be honest. But if you're going to be the one that makes the standard, then you put yourself in God's place. The fact is, it should teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us in all areas of our life, whether that's politics or relationships or values or choices or your attitudes or your, or your language you use. Every single thing, even your traditions. I mean, there's things that we do in the church where we need to sometimes come to them and say, is this really what God said to do or is it just what we always do or how we've always done it? I heard this a long time ago, and it's true. The truth doesn't change. How we talk about it, that changes. Our methods can change. The message itself doesn't change. I love our worship team. I love how we do worship today. But there will always be something very special to me because it's where I really deeply connected God with God first, standing around a, a campfire and just a guitar. Or no guitar. I don't need that to connect with God. It's different. And it's different for everybody. So are you equipped for every good work? You know what that means? That the word of God is supposed to guide us. It's supposed to be the guidance for your life, for your relationships, for your value system, for even your world view. It's not meant to be a club to beat people with. It's supposed to guide you. One last thought on this. It's living and breathing. It's alive. Now, I know that sounds weird to some people. And you may, I don't even have a Bible sitting here. I mean, I've got a hundred Bibles on my phone and I've got the Bible scriptures written on my, but the Bible itself is living and breathing. And you may think that's weird. No, no, no. It's supernatural. And I'll let you say that because it is supernatural. When you read it, if you open your heart to it and if you ask God to speak to you, he will every time. I can bank on that because there's times where I've, I've gone to scriptures that I've read millions of times. That's maybe an exaggeration. I don't know. Pastor Nick was mentioned Ranger, the Ranger program. I know for the first time I read the book, the Bible all the way through was for a, a merit in Rangers. And it was uh, the new living. It was no, the new the living Bible. Remember that version, which was a paraphrase of the King James. For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts 
and desires. Thing is, this book is the only book that you can read and the author is right there with you. You ever think about that? You ever heard a book on tape? Anybody ever done that? Read by the author? That's special. It's different that way. They put inflection in that maybe a reader wouldn't normally put because they knew what they were writing, right? So imagine as you're reading that you invite God with you into this experience and you literally say to him, God, I want you to speak to me through your word today as I read. I promise you, if you do that, he will. And you will see things you didn't see before. And if you're open to him, he will correct you in ways you hadn't anticipated. I mean, who likes correction? Right? I want to do it. what I'm doing. I think I'm doing what I'm doing because it's right. It's like the people who are arguing and the one says, oh, you think you're always right. Yeah, that's why we're arguing. I think I'm right. You think you're right. I think I'm right. So when I go to scripture, I can't argue. What happens is as I read it and he, he illuminates things to me, they come alive and I see them. It's new every day. New wonders can be found. It's good news. The Bible's a beautiful book full of poetry and, and, and exaggeration in places and alliteration and imagery and morality and civility and narrative and biographies and prophecies. You know how many times in the New Testament one of the writers says, love one another, care for one another, serve one another. You know how many one another's there are? 59. Why? It tells us how to live. Here's the thing. The Bible is the story of all stories. I've said this before in here, and I never saw this till I read the book Epic by John Aldridge. It is the story that underlies every story. It, every story. <laughs> My mind is so weird. You know what a story I just thought of? Three little pigs. That's it, it works, though. Think about every movie you love. Think about every novel, every story. Things are good. Idyllic. You might even think Garden of Eden good, right? And what happens? Something comes in and brings destruction or drags somebody down or breaks a promise. I mean, something comes in and ruins things. And then what happens? You have to find a way. Someone has to save the day. Or a group of people. I mean, Lord of the Rings, you've got the, the, the fellowship that has to figure it out. Or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But the true story, the story that underlines everything, that one is Jesus. And he comes and he brings <clears throat> a restoration and a salvation that's better than we could ever, ever imagine. That's what it's about. And in the end, all the good is returned. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a moment, everybody in the room. I'm going to end the service in a second with a challenge. But before I do that, I want to present this idea to you. you. You've been sitting here listening to this all about the Bible. And I've mentioned in while we celebrated communion and then just now and a few minutes ago, the idea that there's a God who loves you and is pursuing you and wants a relationship with you and died so that he could have that. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I want that relationship, I need that relationship, but I do not have it today.
If you want that today, would you please raise your hand and we will pray a prayer along with you that just tells him you want that and invites him into your life forever. If you want that today, just raise your hand and we can pray with you. Anybody at all? I do see that hand. I appreciate that honestly. Anybody else? Well, for this one and anyone else, as we pray this prayer, God knows. Simple prayer, it's not magic. It's it's just simple. It's just an acknowledgement of the fact that we need him in our life, that we've done things wrong, and he's the one that can save us. So would you repeat after me, everybody in the room as we pray? Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that are wrong. I need your salvation. I need your son in my life. Please forgive me. Come in and make me new. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you were serious about that, that happened. That's real. Can we celebrate with those who prayed that? God, thank you for that. You're a good God. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you for all of that. As we close out today, I'm going to challenge you to do something that maybe you've done before, maybe you've never done, but I'm going to challenge you to do something. Next week, Pastor Jeremy is preaching on Ephesians. So some of you, I'm going to challenge some of you, someone here to read the book of Ephesians all the way through at one time. Sure, it's, it's six, six chapters. It, I, it, might take you, it might take you 15 minutes, seriously. I challenge you to do that. And here's my challenge. It gets a little deeper. As you do that, what I challenge you to do is, is pray and ask God, God, maybe you've read this book before. And as you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, I know this part. And it's tempting to kind of skip over because you've read it. But what I wanted you to do is I want you to hesitate and say, God, I want you to show me things in here that will correct me where I need correction. I want, I want you to speak to me because I know your word is alive and powerful. I want you to say new things to me today. And as you do that, I promise you that will come alive. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Who, who here is willing to take that challenge? You'll read the book of Ephesians this week. All right. All right. God bless you. If, uh, if you are interested in quoting and getting some candy, you're welcome to do that after the service. Um, I encourage you to, if you are um, a parent of a child or want to volunteer in the kids' ministry, please meet with Pastor John immediately after the service. As you exit the building, it's just a quick left right into the crown room. God bless you today. Will you stand with me? God bless you today. I encourage you as you leave this place to meet some people, learn their names, repeat them. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.